Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, so this is what we're going to do. You're at a table. You are going to greet each other um, because you're going to need to know the people at your table because you're about to be a team right now. I know you don't expect this to happen in church, but we're about to have a quiz. Yes, you're back in school. It's a quiz, and it's a group quiz, so you might want to get to know the people at your table. Then after that, the offering thing will come by, and we'll get started. All right? Get to know your team. What I want you to do for right now is do not grab your Bible. At the moment, do not grab your Bible. Because we are going through a series, the Bible, where did it come from, and what do we do with it? So over the past few weeks, we've been doing a study, we've been looking at some history, asking you to do some on your own, and some of you haven't been here for that, so you're at a disadvantage, that's okay. But the point is, is we're actually going through this because we do want to know why do we trust this Bible, or do we? Instead of just assuming and having no idea where it came from, no background, and not having put the effort in. It's been really encouraging for me to hear from the home groups that people have been freaked out. I know that doesn't sound good, but um, like, for example, we talked about certain books of the Bible and who wrote them and where they came from and who's historical and who's not, and it's been shocking for some people because they've never looked at it before. They've never asked the questions. Not only have they not asked the questions, but then they've never looked for the answers. And what typically happens, we'll show up um, and expect other people to just provide us the answers. Someone like me or some book but we don't actually take ownership of it ourselves. We don't put out the effort to really become informed and know why we believe what we believe, or should we believe that? And so we've asked everybody to start from ground zero. So in that, we want you to know this, so the assumption is, let's get your hands into it. Let's get your heart and your mind into it. So what we're gonna do is I have seven questions here based on the past two weeks. And so these have been hit pretty hard, and as a group, you're going to try to come up with the answer. So you got a little card there that says notes that we always have. Have one person keeping track of them, and we're going to go through these quickly. I'm not going to take you through them. You're going to go at your own pace as a team through these seven questions. Now, you cannot open up the Bible and go, okay, count how many are in the Old Testament, okay? And if one person is always answering the questions like an esh, don't let them jump in because then you're not getting anything from it, right? So if one person is doing all the answering, don't do it. So you have five minutes, Five minutes starting now. Okay, so let's start going through them. The reason we're doing this is just to get you into it. It's different than just having someone speak to you than you getting into it, right? When we have our small groups, our home groups, our tribes, our crews, all the different groups that we have, the reason for that is because God moves in community. There's a reason he chose disciples and apostles, and he walked with them because they walked with each other, and they got into this together. So we're going to get into this. So how many books are in the Old Testament? So uh, circle the ones you got correct, X them. If you want to lie, hey, if you want to do that at church, you're welcome to do that. I don't know what will happen. We'll find out. Um, So how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. How many are in the New Testament? 27. Name three of the genres. Now this is kind of tricky, so you had to be here. We talked about it last week. Um, John, there um, should be a slide 
right after the, uh, two after this, it says genres. So if you have, these are the genres, which means, like we looked at the Old Testament, there's sections of history and narrative, the law, like um, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, uh, there's poetry, there's prophecy, like the, the major prophets and the minor prophets, apocalyptic, like Revelation, the Gospels, epistles, romance. So those are, if you, if you have three of those or something close to that, then um, you got those. Okay. Uh, in what century was the first time that we know, that we have record, of the New Testament had all the books that it has, say, all 27? Fourth century, the end of the fourth century. So 390, I can't remember the exact name of the council. I think it was Athanasius was involved in that. I'm pretty sure it was Athanasius. But the reason that you need to know that is because that's the first official record that we have of all the 27 books that we have. Now, we have a record earlier of that or, or hints at that. But that's the first official record. Um, but then again, we talked about, well, how did they choose what was there? So that was um, number five. What are the three criteria used to decide which books were included or left out? So we'll, it's one slide back, John. Um, was it written by either an apostle or an associate of apostle? Or if it's Old Testament, was it written by a prophet or someone that was considered uh, a man that walked with God? And so that's how they would choose it. Uh, was it congruent, which means in agreement with basic Christian tradition, the rule of faith? Was it widespread and long-standing? So, for example, we talked about the book of Job, and there's confusion because we don't know who wrote it. We don't know if he's historical or not. But, number two, was it congruent with the tradition, the rule of faith for the Old Testament? Yes, they all knew the book. They knew this writing. They knew it. And it, it lined up with the faith, and it was widespread and long-standing. And then, of course, we can go through books in the New Testament, like the Gospel of Thomas, people... It's funny, if you Google and you look up, like, how did the Bible come to be? And you'll see um, little videos, right? And you'll see how many people went to those videos, and it'll be like 3,000. And then you'll say something like, what are some secret books of the Bible? Views, 2,500,000. Because everybody wants to know if there's something that's just not quite right. Conspiracy theory type of stuff. So they all look that stuff up. So the Gospel of Thomas is one of those Gospels that's like, oh, this is a secret book that they wanted to keep out. Well, they kept it out because... They didn't trust that it was written by the Thomas. They didn't think it was an associate of Thomas. It didn't match up with the faith, and nobody even knew where it came from. The people back then, so they're like, we can't use this. This is just some person wrote this. We have no idea what this is. So to get in, it wasn't so much that they were trying to get books in as much as they were trying to keep crazy stuff from getting in. Does that make sense? So these were the three main. Uh, next one, who made those decisions? So if you wrote anything close to synods or councils, you've got them. There were a ton of them, okay? So anything close to that, um, those were groups that just kept coming together and arguing because they wanted to make sure that the, the word could be trusted, that it was holy, that it was from the Lord, that it was inspired. Um, and then the last one, number seven, name one of the four people mentioned that played an integral part in the Bible being translated into the common man's language. For you, that would be English, but it could have been German. There was other languages. So who are the four people that we mentioned that had a huge influence in that? You can mention one. Wycliffe was one. Luther. 
He was. That's, that's a secret one that I didn't have. That wasn't one of my four, but yes. In fact, he was one of the first, and they all borrowed from him, so that's bonus points for you. <laughs> bonus point for that table. Um, two others, Tyndale and Gutenberg, who, by the way, invented the printing press for the Western Hemisphere, but we're pretty sure China beat him, and I didn't mention his name, but he didn't have much to do with the Bible being translated. So if you mentioned any of those, those were people that played an integral part in terms of you having a Bible in front of you right now. Okay, so how many got all seven right? Seriously? Well, so just that table. You guys too, huh? All right, well, Dave, since you were already set up for it, so for Dave's table, Dave's already agreed that he's going to go and get whatever your order is. If you need some coffee, some donuts, he'll take your order. Uh, Topher has agreed to do it for your table. So Topher, if you could go and take their order, and that's your prize for winning. All right, so now open up your Bibles, please. Bet you're wondering where to go. Okay, I'll tell you, Acts 2.42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, you're also in your tables because I'm going to have you guys do a study together. So instead of me taking you through the study, you nodding, thinking about other things, you're going to be very engaged because we know that we learn best when we're involved. When we are in it. And our purpose for gathering on these mornings is to pull all the little churches together to worship together and to look into God's word, to break bread, to, to celebrate, to pray, and to fellowship, to play with each other. Um, we just played a game. See? So you got that out of the way. Boom. Fellowship. But we want you in it. So every once in a while, we're going to have these tables here. It makes it also very easy for afterwards when we have the feast because we bring the food in here and the tables are ready to go. But we want you to interact. So I'm not going to take you through a traditional sermon this morning as much as, this is Kirsten, one of our leaders, one of our singers. But I want us to start with um, looking at Acts 2.42. And this is, this is why. Because I cannot persuade us to get into the word of God. I cannot move us. I don't know too many people that can. Maybe there are amazing communicators, leaders, inspiring people that can come in and maybe push us for a little bit. But ultimately, something has to happen where we see value in it. And when it comes to looking into the Word of God, most of us just aren't that motivated. And we can pretend like we are and say that, but the reality is most of us aren't. Um, the early church, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching meaning the teachings of Jesus. So they were devoted, not only to that, but to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that word, devoted, we hardly use that in English. And the word that they try to translate it from, it, it's what you would imagine it to be. It means to be committed. And there's some other ways that it's used um, to persist in adherence. So they were persisting to adhering to being in God's word. They were Another way to say is they were intently engaged in the apostles' teaching. They would attend constantly to the apostles' teaching or to the word of God. Um, the way that the, uh, today's English version translates it, if you have that Bible, it says they spent their time in the apostles' teaching. And so the reality is, is that most of us don't do that. In, at Jesus' time, and even in, in many parts of the world today, in the Jewish community, when you are 13, you have your bar mitzvah, 
um, you have memorized the entire Old Testament. And when I see memorize, I mean you could write out every little word. How's that? Like, I get all excited when I memorize some scripture. Oh, I got Galatians 2.20 memorized. Woo, John 3.16. The entire Old Testament, that's devotion. That's attending constantly to. So for them, this was normal. It's not normal for us. We're like, oh, is, that a, is that an audible.com? Can I download that? Is, is the movie out yet? Like, we want to find all these back roads because for us in general, we're, the main question we ask ourselves with the word of God is, I know it's important, but deep down, I don't really get into it because what's it really going to do for me? I mean, really, what am I going to get out of it? That's kind of how we talked about a lot with our narcissistic society. That's kind of how we are. But if this is God's word, it is powerful and meant for us to be in it deeply. This is how I want us to look at it this morning. God's word is the same as his spirit. You can't pull God apart. His word, I mean, if you read in John 1, logos, that's word. Um, voice, it's, it's God's voice. You know, when, in Genesis, when he spoke, things came into being. And when you look at it, I want to do a very quick thing on this because I want you to get into it yourself. When God's word shows up and finds its place in us, it's like a fire. In fact, the word of God describes it that way. In fact, God's presence, when God shows up, there is fire usually. Now, God's presence shows up in other ways. We look in 1 Kings, we saw Elijah, he was looking, the fire came, and God wasn't in the fire that time. So God doesn't always show up in fire. In fact, God showed up at that time, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a gentle wind. We look at other times where God shows up like a hammer, and his word is like a hammer, which means it's breaking things so that something else can be rebuilt. But for this morning, we're going to look at how God's word, how he shows up as a fire. And I want to give you a couple verses to give you a head start on this. Um, we're going to look at uh, Exodus 3, 2 here. You all know the situation. Moses comes and God is in the bush. And what's the bush doing? It's burning. And God is speaking to Moses. Another time in the New Testament, we see um, the disciples, they were gathered in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and there were like tongues of fire over them. Again, that picture of fire. And so that's a symbol of God's presence because God's Spirit and Word, they're like a fire in these three ways. He brings his presence, and in that, oftentimes, there'll be a fire. Also, in that, what will happen is God's passion, that passion that goes inside of you. Jeremiah 23 um, we talked about this last week a little bit. Is not my word like fire? It's not my word to you, Jeremiah, like fire. And then later Jeremiah goes, yep, because he says in Jeremiah 29, he said, but if I say that I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in and I, I gotta get it out because it's a fire. And there's this passion, and it's, it's that, that, that way of saying, look, people need to know this. He's excited about it. And also with God's fire, it brings purity. It, it burns out that which is not holy, which doesn't belong. Malachi 3.2 says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? 
Who can stand when he, God, appears? For he would be like a refiner's fire, like when you take a ring and, not that any of you have ever done this, but you burned it up to, to get it cleaned up. Or, and I love this, or soap. Like, that's why I have soap, right? To get cleaned up or to clean something. That's what God's fire does. It cleans things up. And then lastly, in Luke uh, 3, John answered, John the, the Baptist, and he said, As for me, I baptize you with water. <coughs> but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. God's word is like fire, and I can't persuade you to be in it. But once you're in it, and you've committed yourself to be in it, you will know these, those verses, they, they could come from you. You could say there was a fire. It either was God's presence, or it was his passion, or God came in and made it clear to me what needed to be burned away. And so what we're going to do right now is you are going to get into the word. I want to give you some basic tools on how to get in the word. So open your Bibles because as a group you're going to go through this. There's no quiz. There's no time limit when we're going to finish. You may make it through the entire study together or you might not. But you're going to go through it together and I'm not just going to teach you. Because you don't need other people to always teach you. We need to take this on our own. And we need to be, this needs to be a habit. We need to be devoted to it. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be something that we often do. So um, open your Bibles, and I'd like you to open to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And you're going to go from Luke 24, 13 through 33. That's the section. However, as we've been talking about, it's very important to know the context. So these are some of the questions I want you to go through in your group. Now, you can take this model here, and you can use it for, this is just one way to study God's Word. But always start with the context. We talked about genres. So what genre is Luke? So look at that. Who's the author? Now you can say, oh, it was Luke, but who is he? So as a group, try to go through that. Also, um, what was the author's intention in writing this book? Um, and then it has questions to dig deeper. There's six of them. Just like in your home groups, you don't have to go through all of these. But start on that. And then the reflection is one and two, which is where you ask, okay, Lord, is there something you want me to see here? Okay, so we'll have about 10 minutes for that. And as far as you get is as far as you get. Ready, set, go. If you have any questions, I'm here. But I don't think you will. As, as you're doing this, remember the goal is not information or answering questions. The goal is to listen to God. So as you're approaching this, just make sure that you're not like, oh yeah, let's get through this like it's a test, because it's not. And information is not going to cause transformation. It's just, God, I'm here. I'm here to listen. So as you're going through this, don't stress about how many questions you get through or did you get them right, but just come with that approach. So here's my question for you guys. Was, did you feel like that was too much time or too little time? Too little, right? That was about, I told you 10 minutes, I lied. I only gave you like eight minutes. So now think about that. What if you consistently just did eight minutes? That's probably more than what you're doing now, right? Like getting into God's word. It didn't feel like enough. Now, think about that. It's not so hard to be devoted if there's something valuable coming out of it. Like if you felt like, no, that's plenty of time. That was really boring. I'm done. I don't want to do that. Then your answer would have been, no, we were done like seven minutes ago. This is not that hard. But we're just not in the habit of doing it. If you see a commercial 
that's longer than 30 seconds, you get antsy. Why? Because you've been trained. When you saw the Star Wars trailer that was two minutes long on TV, you're like, what is wrong right now? Are they showing the movie? Because it's just not, you're trained to think in certain sections. And with the word of God, you've got to retrain yourself to get in it deeper. What if you made it a goal one minute every day? And some people will go, that's not enough. It's probably more than you're doing. So why not start somewhere? And hey, if it goes to two minutes, or if we give you eight minutes and you're like, we're not listening to the book, we're going to keep going because we really want to get into this. If you get into God's word, things are going to happen. You look at those two men. And this is what is consistent with God's word. It doesn't happen. You're not going to have a fire alarm go off every time you get into God's word. It's not like you're going to burst into flames with God's presence and his passion, his purity every time. It's this discipline. But when you do that, then you are allowing God to make that happen. You saw these two men. They're walking. They're confused. And Jesus walks alongside them. They don't recognize him. And as they walk with him, what does he do? He takes them through the scriptures. Wouldn't it be cool to know which ones he chose? How cool would that be? We don't know. But he took them. We give some indication. He took them from here through the prophets. So we know there are prophets involved. But he takes them through and shows, no, see, this is how it was supposed to be. You've lost hope. This is the fulfillment. This brings hope. And then after they realize it's Jesus and he leaves, what do they say? Were our hearts not burning inside of us when he was speaking to us? That will happen, but it will only happen if we submit ourselves to God's word to allow it to happen. And I want to close with this verse, and then I'll pray for us. Um, Romans 12, 1. I was thinking of the different verses in my life, the different times that God's word either came in as a gentle wind or as a hammer or as a fire. And this was one that when it came in as a fire, Romans 12, 1. And this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, was the first time when I read God's word that it wasn't just reading words, but I knew that God was speaking to me. And this doesn't happen all the time. I, maybe it happens for some of you all the time. I don't know anyone that it happens to all the time where they get into God's word and like, well, God showed up, I met him, it was amazing. I just don't know that happening every time. But it happens. And when it happens, there are like these moments that you just want to build a lighthouse right there in that moment and just hold it. And for me, this was one of those moments. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. And something I had never noticed before until this week. So you can look at God's word, and then the deeper you get into it, you're like, oh, I read that passage already. Like some people, I've read all the Bible. Yeah, but then... You look at it. I mean, I've taught on this. I've read this. This is a life verse for me. And yet it says here, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, at the time that Paul is saying that, what is a sacrifice to them? It's where they would bring their goats, their animals, their possessions. Their most valuable possessions was their food or that which sustained them. And they would bring it and they would bring it to an altar to be burned up to give to God. That was the sacrifice, to bring it to the fire so that God would now have it. And what he's encouraging us to do is to be that living sacrifice. For us to offer ourselves up to that fire, to him, for whatever his purposes are. 
That's what we're referring to when we talk about reading God's word and coming to it saying, God, I'm here for you. Not to get something for ourselves, but to give ourselves to him. If you don't already have that habit in your life, if you don't already have a pattern, it's time to get started. You have a model that we just gave you, a very simple one. Um, I have books here um, that could help you. There's stuff online. These are books that I love. This one um, I've taken people through before, Playing with Fire. I mean, hello, the name's Playing with Fire. I gotta choose that one. Um, these are two books that you get in seminary and you're like, oh, I can't read those. These aren't that hard. In fact, this one right here, by the guy that teaches it, Biola, New Testament seminary. These are not that hard. You just say think words like that and you're like, oh, it's too hard, I can't do it. If anything, get a study Bible. In fact, Kim doesn't know this yet, but Kim's buying us a bunch of student Bibles because we're gonna have student Bibles here. You can buy them or just take them. Every Bible should say student Bible on it because that's what it is. We're all students of his word. And so if you don't have that pattern yet, you can make this simple goal, one minute every morning. And if you're like, I'm not a morning person, then one minute at night. My guess is you're probably a night person. You're not a night person either, but you think you are. And then when that doesn't happen, then you'll switch to the morning. But either way, have a pattern. Maybe it's at lunch, one minute every day at lunch. But develop some pattern. We talked about them being devoted, committed. It was a daily thing for them. As the people of God, we are willing to place ourselves up to be placed on fire so that God can do what he wants to do in this world. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are the one that draws us to you and I ask that you would draw us to your word and that your spirit would show up and move and that we would see your presence, that we would feel that passion, see that passion in ourselves and that you would Refine us and clean us through your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.